Amen, amen. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys here. Hey, it's cool to have Jeff Arendelle around, isn't it? Amen. Jeff, we love you, man. We're so thankful for um, our friendship, and uh, we, we love you very much. Thank you so much. Je- Jeff's band has seen our church in every single stage of growth. From the gym, a couple times, they played at one of our fundraisers to buy this place, and uh, they went to the theater. So the only place they missed was the YMCA, all right? That's the only place you missed. So maybe we'll, nope, nope, the Y sold. You can't even go there and do it anymore. So uh, thank you, thank you, Jeff. We love you, man, and we're so thankful that all of you guys are here. Welcome to Living Waters Fellowship. My name is Josh, and I'm the preaching, teaching pastor here, lead pastor Thankful that you guys are here, and what a privilege and an honor it is to open up God's Word together. And so we're going to be in Revelation chapter 19. So if you want to open up your Bibles there to Revelation 19, and we're going to read verses 11 through 21 together. And as, as you're turning there, I just want to do a quick announcement before we pray and dig in the Word Uh, baptisms are coming. So baptisms are happening November 14th. Here's a picture of Dominique Shirley got baptized just a little bit ago. We are doing indoor baptisms on November 14th, not Easter Lake. Can I get a witness? Okay. All right. So we're going to be doing indoor baptisms. We can do four on a Sunday. That's kind of our max. Uh, We're going to start doing indoor baptisms on the regular so that it can be part of church service. And uh, we're excited to do about a couple of those per Sunday morning, per service. So four total. And if you're a newer believer, you haven't been baptized yet, this is your invitation to sign up and get ready for November 14th. Uh, We have a list of people that we're communicating with at church, so we'll be reaching out to you. If you're not on our communication list with baptism, let us know. We'd love to see you follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And we're going to be doing baptisms more frequently here in our new building, which is such a blessing uh, to say and uh, a good experience for us. So baptisms are coming. Revelation 19 verses 11 through 21. Let's read the word of God together and pray. Starting in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and by the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice, and he called all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God. To eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men and horses and riders, the flesh of all men, both slave and free, small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. 
And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in his presence had done the signs by which he had deceived those who had received the mark, and those who worshipped its image. And the two were thrown into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from his mouth and sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. So praise God for the reading and the hearing of his word. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jeff and the band leading us in praise and song. And now, Lord, we thank you for your word read and heard by your people. Lord, we lift up the word of God as the word from your mouth that we need to hear with our ears. Lord, we have so many other gospels that seek our time and attention and desires every single day of the week. That's not your word. And so Lord, now we just pause and thank you for a a divine moment where we can read the scriptures and hear them for ourselves. Lord, we don't take it for granted. We know that this is a divine moment. This is a divine moment where you want to come and speak to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, give us ears to hear as Revelation 1 through 3 says. Give us a heart that's open. And God, take all of our fears, all of our doubts, all of the mess of what our week was this week. And Lord, fix our eyes on Jesus and help us to fall in love with him afresh and anew this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing our sermon series, The Return of Christ and the Life to Come. And we're continuing our book through our journey through the book of Revelation. So last week, we listened to Stephen. Two weeks ago, we were in Revelation 5. And from Revelation 5 to Revelation 19, we're skipping 14 chapters. And I will try to summarize those chapters as best as I can. But my title this morning in this text, in Revelation 19 is the return of the king. You are welcome, Lord of the Rings fans, right? The return of the king. As a reminder, the book of Revelation was written by the apostle John in AD 95. Now, John gave this gospel from the island of Patmos. And so he was writing on this island. He was given this apocalyptic vision by the spirit of God. And he was exiled onto this island for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. John was writing twofold reasons. He was writing about the things that are, and he was writing about the things that are to come. So there is certainly some present tense things in the first few chapters of Revelation. There's a lot of practical application for us throughout Revelation, but there's also a lot of futuristic, apocalyptic type of language. And so John is writing that. And the simplest way to encapsulate the book of Revelation, if you're talking to your friends, is two words, Jesus wins. Amen? Let's just simplify it down to where we can all digest that. If you are having a conversation about revelation and someone asks you about a seal judgment or a bowl judgment, and you don't know what judgment they're talking about, you can say, look, what I know is this, Jesus wins, okay? That's what I know. And that will be good enough because that is the essential final application of the book of Revelation. Jesus Wins, And so we're talking about the return of Jesus, the return of Christ, the second coming of the return of the king in Revelation 19. So our big idea this morning is that the return of the king is filled with victory 
from beginning to end. Now, this is super important for us. The return of the king is full of victory from beginning to end. This is hyper, hyper good. Why is it good? Because in a sinful world, we often feel defeated, don't we? We often feel like I'm in a corner. We often feel I'm sad. I'm discouraged. I don't know what's happening with my life. I'm discouraged about my job. I'm discouraged about my kids. I'm discouraged about life circumstances, things that are going on in my local family, my society, my neighborhood. I'm discouraged by these things. And sometimes we just want to be winners. Amen? Don't you just want to feel like I'm winning here? And at times with Jesus, it's often his plan that we suffer through many things and we feel like we're losing. Am I preaching this morning or what? Okay. How many times have you felt like that? I felt like that a lot. And, I, and as we were singing, How Great Is Our God, I pulled up this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. See if you recognize this. Paul, the Apostle Paul said this, Through dishonor and through slander, we minister. And he says, We are treated as imposters, yet are true. We are unknown, yet well-known. We are dying, but though yet we live. We are as punished, yet we are not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making all rich. And as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Is that not the summary of the Christian life? Where you feel like, I'm losing. I'm clearly losing. I am losing this battle. And sometimes you look up to heaven and you're like, Jesus, seriously, do we get to win or what? And I think that's the beauty of Revelation 19. Christian, we will win. We will win at the end. Jesus will win. And when that victory comes, he will make all tears come off of our eyelids. He's going to make every hurt full of justice and strength. He is going to have every single thing that nobody else knows about except for you. Jesus will make that wrong right. Can I get a witness? That's why his second coming is so important to us. It should encourage us. Because there's so many things that we look at right now and we're like, I just don't see the victory. And that's why Christ's second coming is out there like this beautiful future hope that we're like, this is it. This has got to be it because life doesn't make sense if he doesn't come back and get the win. Now, we're going to three, see three aspects of Jesus' victorious return and then go to communion. Aspect number one of Jesus' return in this text in Revelation 19 is that the returning king will host a victory supper. He's going to host a victory supper. And I didn't read this in the scripture reading, but if you want to look with me at verse 7, it says, And let us rejoice and exult and give glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It has been granted for her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. This is awesome. All right. This is a promise. There will be a future supper that you all get to eat with Jesus. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and you like good eating, can I get a good eating amen? Yeah, all right, all right, all right. We got a lot of foodies in our church. I know from experience because I've been at your house and I've eaten some of your food. 
We have a supper coming our way. And this supper is going to be a celebration. It's going to be an event. It's going to be a time when Jesus is surrounded by his church, by his redeemed people. And in that moment, we are going to party like never before and, and sit with our Savior face to face and with other believers face to face. And we will have this marriage supper of the Lamb. This is good news. Okay, now... It's good news because Revelation 6 through 18 is filled with darkness and judgment and all kinds of crazy. All right, so in the midst of Revelation 6 through 18, there's the Antichrist, there's the beast, there's the false prophet, there's the four horsemen. All right, the four horsemen who ride these horses of red horse, white horse, pale horse, black horse. There's all these judgments coming, the seal judgments and the trumpets and all this stuff. It is going to be carnage. God's judgment. And the four horsemen are going to help bring them. Now, as I say the four horsemen, it's not the WWF wrestlers from the 1980s. Can I get a witness? It's not these guys. Okay? The only guy I know on this photo is Ric Flair. Outside of that, I have no idea. Some of you in your brains, I just distracted like 50% of the men. Where they're just like, Josh, I can tell you the names of all those guys and the, and the WrestleManias that they won. And what years? Okay, those are not the four horsemen, okay? The four horsemen in the Bible are much different. They are, they are deliverers of God's judgment and wrath on the earth. It's going to be very dark. On top of that, if you read Revelation 17, 18, and 19, back to back to back, these are three chapters that highlight a particular dark figure in the end times, and that is the prostitute of Babylon. The prostitute of Babylon is a very evil woman. She is riding on the beast and the beast has 10 horns and the horns stand for the kingdoms of the, of the kings of the earth. And she is called the prostitute of Babylon. She is bad news, though she looks really beautiful. The prostitute of Babylon is so beautiful that in chapter 17, the apostle John, who has been hanging out with Jesus for like 17 straight chapters, is like, whoa. And the angel has to like slap him and say, stop staring at the prostitute, man. Stop staring at her. She is doomed for judgment. And John's like, okay, I won't lust in heaven. That's not a good thing, right? And so all of a sudden this prostitute, what is she, what is she all about? She's all about taking down all the kingdoms of the earth through her sexual sin. All right? Now, if you're a reader of Revelation, you're going to think of Rome. That's, that's your right away. You're thinking, oh, this is all about Rome and the prostitute of Babylon is Rome and all this stuff. But in modern day reading, we would read this and we would say, well, we, we, would, have, we would say Rome, but we would also say lots of other kingdoms of the earth in the past 2,000 years have raised themselves up and have had the spirit of this prostitute of Babylon because sexual sin is her thing and sexual sin has brought down many society. Can I get a witness? So this prostitute of Babylon is a problem. On top of all the other judgments, she is an issue and she is all about sexual exploration. Sound like America today or what? She's all about sexual exploitation. She's all about sexual expression. And at the end of the day, she also pressures any king who follows her, her deceit to, to just give her the thumbs up on what she's doing. 
So you see there's this, there's this sexual deviancy that's going on, sexual exploration. And if you don't agree with the sexual expressions of the culture, you're out. I'm telling you, reading the Bible is like reading your social media. Reading the Bible is like reading the news. God said this would happen. Our country is in a mountain of sexual sin. Every expression imaginable, we are supposed to clap for, approve, and there's a pressure. Like, if you don't, you're not with it. And I'm telling you, that is the spirit of the prostitute of Babylon. I'm not saying it's the, the thing yet. I'm just saying this is a warm-up round for our country. So if you understand, like, all this darkness is happening, that's why this marriage supper is so refreshing. Because you're seeing this this beautiful heavenly vision that the prostitute of Babylon is finally taken down at the end of chapter 18. And chapter 19 opens with this great worship session in heaven. And all of a sudden, this worship session leads to this marriage supper. And the marriage supper is Jesus and his church sitting down at a table. And we are just rejoicing in Jesus's victory. And we're eating with him. Have you ever noticed that God likes to eat? And he likes to host meals. Our God is a very hospitable God. What did he give Adam and Eve? The Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is filled with what? Fruits of every different kind of good thing. Like God provides for food. He provides for meals. I'm not sure he approves of bacon yet, but Iowans, we will we'll wait and see. Why? By faith, right? But you can see Abraham and Sarah hosting the angel of the Lord. And they're hosting these angels with a meal right before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You see the Passover meal instituted in Israel right before they escape Egypt, right? You see this meal of Psalm 23. The psalmist David writes, you prepare a table before me. When? In the presence of my enemies. Wow. Jesus at the last Passover, the last supper, he says, I've earnestly desired to eat this meal with you before he goes to the cross. Church, If we look at the meal the right way, this victorious meal is happening right before the second coming. So if you can think about all the enemies of God gathering below, the Antichrist, the beast, everybody filled with unbelief and anger and angst against God. They're all gathering in Megiddo right in the middle of Israel and they are just waiting for this. They hate God. They're antagonistic to God. They're violent towards God. Where is God? Up in heaven having a meal. Do you see how confident Jesus is that he's going to get the victory? At his second coming, there is going to be no enemy that will come close to challenging him. We will be there with him as the church eating with Jesus. And we're like, hey, Jesus, there's like billions of people down below on the earth gathered because they hate your name. And Jesus just like, just eat a chicken wing, Josh. Just eat it. It's fine. Just enjoy the meal. I've, I've got it. I've got it. And we are supposed to say, okay, that is a beautiful thing. Because in the midst of this, this moves us towards confidence that Jesus is going to win. We're eating together before his final victory. Okay, what do we do now though? How do we apply that now to 2021 to our lives? Well, could it be that the most important piece of furniture in your house is your dinner table? Christians have always been hospitable to strangers, to enemies of God, 
to people that are in the church, your, your, your house should be open. Your dinner table is the most important piece of furniture you own as a Christian. Because you may not preach a million sermons and you may not do the evangelism thing, but you know what you can do? You can open your home and let someone who needs Jesus share your table with you because the best conversations happen at the table. Can I get a witness? I'm telling you, the best moments of our lives are at the table. Why is that? Because God is a God who values the table. He's a hospitable God. He likes supper. He likes meals. People meet Jesus. Rosaria Butterfield has a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. If you haven't read that yet, grab it and read it sometime soon. And just let your heart be moved to open your home. Because when you open your home, you open your table. When you open your table, you reflect the victory table coming. There's another book called The Common Rule. I'd also encourage you to read that book. And there's a chapter on hospitality and dinner. You should just read it and then start eating with Christians. Amen. We have trunk or treat at five o'clock tonight. Who's excited? I'm so excited. Let's go. I'm dressed up. Music. I can embarrass my kids. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's going to be good. Thank you, Cody. It is. Here's the thing. What's that about? Hospitality. If you're going with a bummy attitude, don't bring your car. Don't bring your candy. This is a moment of hospitality for our church. Smile. Give somebody a hug. Meet somebody for the first time. Show the love of Jesus to someone who doesn't have Jesus in their life. This is a, a great opportunity for us to do this because it reflects the victorious dinner that's coming our way. Aspect number two of Jesus' return is that he will come with power. The returning king is going to come with power. Verses 11 through 18. Behold, a white horse, verse 11, the one who's sitting on it, faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. So just let's start with that. After the marriage supper, John sees the heavens opening up and here comes Jesus. He's on a white horse and we, the saints, are following him on white horses. And if you like to ride horses, you're in good, you're in good shape, right? You're going to get to ride a horse, a white one. It's going to be amazing. All of you equestrian people, you get, you're, you're excited. People like me will be like, okay, whatever, let's do it. You know, down we go. But the return of King Jesus, this is the climax. I mean, this is the moment of all moments because the white horse is a symbol for victory, right? This is it. You're on your victory trot if you're on the white horse. Oftentimes, Roman kings would come back to Rome after the victory is already done and they'd come in their white horse and they'd ride through Rome as the victorious conqueror. But Jesus comes and as he's coming, he's coming as a person who's called faithful and true, which means genuine and not fake and trustworthy. So when Jesus comes in verse 11, it says, he will in righteousness judge and make war. In righteousness, he will judge and make war. Jesus is coming with power. And this power is not like his first coming. His second coming is going to be full of, of absolute power. And I just want to make a point on the phrase, his righteousness, he judges and makes war. This, this phrase right here on the screen. Jesus, when he comes, is not on trial. Okay? He's not on trial by sinful man. 
He comes to rule and reign, right? And I think this is so applicable for us because we are the anti-authoritarian generation, right? We don't want any authority. We don't want anybody talking to us about authority. We have questions for God. If I have heard that as a pastor dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Well, when I, when I flippantly talk about it, I, I, when I talk to God, I got some questions for him because he's treated me bad. He's given me a bad shake in life. He's made me suffer. And I'm just like, as a pastor, be careful. Careful what you say. And who you're talking to now. Because this is not Pastor Josh that you're talking to. This is Jesus you're going to be talking to. And there will be a righteousness by which he judges the earth. There will be a justice that he will bring. There will be an equity that he brings that this world cannot provide. He will make war on sin. Jesus is not on trial. He came to rule. Which reminds us of Psalm 9-8. He judges the world in righteousness and he judges the peoples with equity. So many people, so maybe so many, some of you this morning are thinking, but Josh, you don't understand my story. Jesus has treated me bad. God has treated me poorly. And I will say, look, whatever wrong you have endured in this life, Jesus is going to make it right. He is going to make it right. 100%. You don't get that right right now. You get it then when he comes again and he makes all things new. So anyway, let's look at Jesus. His eyes are like flames of fire and his head, there are many diadems and there's a name written on him that nobody knows but himself and he's clothed and is, is dipped with blood and he is called the word of God and he comes with a sharp sword and to strike down the nations and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I want you to just get a picture of Jesus. Jesus' eyes are like flames of fire. King Jesus has piercing eyesight. And for those of you who are kids, you have seen this in your parents' eyes. Amen? If you're a kid, you've seen this, right? I need a kid amen here this morning. You've seen mom and dad with fire in their eyes. You're like, hey, man, I, I get that verse. I understand it. And you parents are like, not sorry. <laughs> you know, sorry, not sorry. But Jesus has piercing eyesight. I mean, he will look inside the souls of every man, woman, and child. And he is given names that are amazing. His one name is secret. Nobody knows his name except himself. Another name that Jesus has is truthful. He's called the word of God. And then another name that he has is authoritative. It's written on his leg. It's tattooed on his leg. King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus has a tattoo. If you're offended, I'm sorry. Too bad. And he is dressed like a boss. Jesus is dressed like a boss. And here's what I mean. He's got on his robe blood. Blood from what? Blood from his cross. It's what makes him worthy. It's why he can come and show all this authority because there's blood on his robe and it's his own blood that he used on the cross to pay for our sins and become the son of God. And then he's got many diadems. He's got jewels all over his head and he's rich and he's powerful and he's worthy. It's amazing. And behind him is this 
heavenly army, the saints of God, dressed in fine linen, white and pure. Now, now this sentence, it makes you feel all the cinematic battle scenes you've ever loved, right? Just makes you feel really, oh, yes. You see these huge battles, the two armies, they're coming together. Okay, and I, I think a good illustration, a recent one, becoming older and older day by day here, is Avengers Endgame, right? So we have the Endgame scene here. And if you remember this scene, right? Captain America standing up to Thanos, the enemy, and, you know, he's getting beat up, which is normal for Captain America, but somehow he keeps going. I could do this all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he, if you remember it, he, his shield's broken, right? So he pulls his shield down on his bleeding hand, because I'm so tough and I'm Captain America. I do this. And he's just there and he's just by himself. And then all of a sudden, this army comes, right? Doctor Strange, weird, psychopathic, you know, circles that he does, like those things. All of a sudden, all these thousands and thousands of warriors come from behind Captain America to get his back. Now, I was in the theater watching this scene with all the geeks. Amen? It was awesome because here's what happened. And my inner geek was there as well. Like all of a sudden, the whole theater starts clapping and roaring, right? Like when this happens, everybody, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, brothers and sisters, this is fake, right? This is fake news. But we're more excited about this than we are Jesus. And I'm telling you, like, it was like awesome. Like the, 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 the sheer amount of energy and clapping in the theater because this was the good guys, man. They were coming. All right. When Jesus returns... He'll have a heavenly host on his six, right, behind him. They're not going to even be needed. Because Jesus' authoritative victory is so thorough. They won't even, no, none of the army will even need to do anything. We will all be there and we will be behind Jesus and we will be like, he's got it. Amen. He's got that. It's over. Because his power will be absolutely unleashed, clear, and violent, and powerful, and wonderful to watch. Because when the good guys win, what happens? We clap. No matter what movie we're watching, we clap when the good guys win. There's something about us like, but there's death and bloodshed all over the screen. We're like, yeah, it's fine. The good guys are winning. And it's the same thing here at the end of the age. Jesus is going to come and there will be bloodshed and carnage and crazy and, de and deliverance and judgment. And everybody's going to be like, yes, finally. Satan is getting his and what he deserved. So Jesus will come with unmatched power and glory. Final aspect of Jesus' return. Jesus will win quickly and emphatically. Verses 19 through 21. The beast and the kings of the earth will be gathered, verse 19, to make war against him. And those two were thrown into the lake of fire, verse 21, and the rest were slain by the swords that come out of the mouth of him who is sitting on his horse, and all the birds will be gorged with their flesh. I mean, it's so vivid. I mean, this, this, this uh, word usage is just so vivid from John. It will be an anticlimactic battle, the most anticlimactic battle you've ever seen or the world has ever known. There will not be a small number of people gathered at Megiddo and Jesus will just come down and literally a sword will come out of his mouth and you need to understand that Jesus is so powerful that his word will do it. <laughs> he won't even have to lift his arm to defeat all the evil of the world. 
He will literally come down and he will say, um, no, 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 we're not doing this today. It's over. And all of a sudden it'll be done. Now think about how much more powerful Jesus is than you and me. You and I, think about the things we get frustrated by. Think about the things that we live in discouragement about and defeat. Well, it could be your job. It could be, it could be what you're trying to accomplish with your life. It could be your position in life, your, your, your work. What about society? When are we ever going to feel like we're, we're victorious in this world? And when, all this stuff, we might be frustrated and angry with this broken world. But you know what? We can't do anything about it. Like we, we can go and we can try to do everything within our power, spend hours and hours and hours and hours trying to fix one thing that's wrong with this world and we can't change it. Jesus comes down and all he has to do is say no and everything's done. How great is Jesus? How magnificent is Jesus? Beyond anything or anyone you've ever dreamt of him being. Some of you might think, well, I, I think I know Jesus pretty well. I think you don't begin to understand who this God-man is. He's coming. And the victory will be emphatic. And the battle will be very quick. So all unbelievers, all false prophets, all human rulers, the beast, Antichrist, Satan, everyone, all Jesus will do is speak and the war will be over. Jesus wins. So as we go to communion, the return of Jesus is going to be filled with victory from beginning to end. So we're going into this communion time and I just want to encourage you as a church. Some of you are feeling very defeated this morning, very, very down about things that are going on in your life. Some of you are very discouraged. Some of you are angry. And I just want to encourage you, Jesus wins. There's a victory coming your way. And there might even be a victory for you this morning. Because right now we see seeds of victory, don't we? We see it through Jesus. We see victory. We see sin overcome. We see people get saved. We see huge, massive open doors for ministry and, and, and life and work and all the things that we're concerned about. There's massive things Jesus does. Those are seeds of victory. But for some of you, you just need to go to the communion table as a Christian and you need to be honest with Jesus and say, Lord, I know what you've done. I know what you're going to do, but I need help right now. Okay? So as you look forward to Jesus' victory, communion is all about looking back. What was the original victory that Jesus did? He died on the cross for your sins. He shed his blood. He lived a perfect life so that he could be that perfect, worthy sacrifice for you. So if that's you this morning, what you need is to just do business with Jesus. So that there's a communion slide that we'll have. We can put it up now. Communion is for believers in Jesus. If you're a believer, you can take communion. If you're not a Christian yet, there's no shame in that. You just don't, don't take communion. Just, just sit and listen and think about Christ and his love for you and receive Jesus. But if you're a believer, communion is a time to get some things off your chest. Get real with God. Confess some sin. You know, get things right. Be thankful. Have an attitude of gratitude in your life for what Christ has done for you. When you're ready, you can go back and get the elements on the back tables and you can come back to your chair 
And again, this is just you and Jesus time. So whatever confession, whatever reflection, this is that moment. So let's take things to the Lord. He's our future victorious returning king. Let's think of him that way, but let's also go back to the cross and be thankful for that as well. Let's uh, pray and go to communion. Father, thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. Lord, what a victory you are going to work. There will be a day of full and final victory for those who believe in Jesus. So Lord, encourage every heart this morning as we reflect back on the victory over sin. Jesus, your, your cross, your perfect life. Lord, maybe there's just a few things that need to get right this morning. Maybe there's a few confession things that need to happen. God, whatever you want to do in our hearts, we just give you freedom right now to do it. And Lord, if there's any person here that does not yet know Jesus, Lord, would you please open up their hearts for the first time and help them see the beauty of Christ. We love you, Lord, and we give you this communion time now. In Jesus' name, amen.